0: My name is Wade Watts. My dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego, like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner.
1: But he died when I was a kid. My mom, too. And I ended up here. Sitting here in my tiny corner of
0: nowhere, there's nowhere left to go. Nowhere. Except the Oasis.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of FilmGuff. Don't panic if you are listening to this on Laps Gamer Radio. This is a dual recording for both shows, just because this topic does cover both gaming and films. Um, so to save a bit of time, we just thought we'd put it on both. If you are on Film Guff and you're not a subscriber or you don't uh, listen to Laps Gamer Radio, jump over there, have a listen, see what you think, and, and vice versa. If you listen to this on Laps Gamer Radio and you've not heard about FilmGuff that myself and Kev do, jump over there uh, and you can listen to us on there as well, talking about films. Joining me today on this episode uh, is a very long time friend of mine. Uh, yes, I do have friends. Uh, I think we've known each other, uh, something scary, like 23 years, something like that. Uh, when you put it into figures, it's quite scary. Uh, it is Navji at, all at Teejfan on Twitter, if anybody wants to follow him on there. Uh, how's it going, Nav? Hey, thanks for the intro. Yes, it is a scary long
0: time that we've known each other since school.
1: Yeah. Since we were uh, both uh, a little bit younger, less facial hair and uh, a little bit slimmer, but there we go. (laughs) You could tap them up for various stories, but please don't. Uh, So uh, just before we get into the episode and we get talking about uh, Ready Player One, which is what this episode's all about. Nav, since you're uh, new to podcasting full stop, I'm actually popping your cherry here, which is a bit of a strange thing to say. Just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and any of your favourite films and games as well, since this is a, a dual recording. Uh, what are your top three films, top three games? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of cinema in general. Love watching films at the cinema. There's
0: something about that cinema experience you just can't replicate watching films yep. at home. And I think every time there's an opportunity for a midnight show in, whatever new film blockbuster's coming out, I'm always there, along with every other person that feels like they've got nothing better to do on a midnight on a Thursday or a Wednesday. Um, <laughs> but I, it's hard to pick a film. At this top three, because it depends on my mood. So sometimes I'll be in the mood for some classic Arnold Schwarzenegger 80s. And then other times it's, you know, it's a good old drama like Schindler's List or Gran Torino. But then in terms of action films, you've got Nolan, Batman, and then you've got popcorn action. So it's a tough one. Games is a bit easy for me to say, because hands down, (laughs) I always say, yeah, I can hear you laughing. It's The Witcher 3. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah i knew that was coming
0: <laughs> it's just phenomenal i mean such fantastic storytelling the world is so detailed it's spoiled me for other rpgs and other games in general just because of the quality of it and the depth
1: of it yep and because we are uh, talking about ready player one so we it's going a little bit retro um 80s 90s references what are your favorite films from that that genre um obviously we're talking golden eye um, Star Fox, stuff like that. Well, to be fair, I'm sympathetic to the main vehicle that the the little lead is
0: driving. Back to the Future, seeing that oh, DeLorean yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, but yeah, Back to the Future is probably my favourite film of that era. It's just such a good film. I don't think there's oh yeah
1: anything you could say that is or could be improved. It's so good, and I just hope it never yeah. gets a remake. Oh god, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, that can burn. i will have to send that Back to the Future if it ever happens. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we were kindly uh, invited uh, by a, a PR company that reached out to us to go down to a press screening. We didn't realise it was on a uh, premiere night of uh, Ready Player One. So we went down to Waterloo. Uh, we uh, jumped in the car about a two hour drive to the first tube station where we made our way through the tubes um, of, of London uh, to the Waterloo uh, BFI IMAX uh, screening uh, of Ready Player One there. and it's a massive screen uh, that that was there. I mean, uh, uh, is there a standard size for all IMAXs? I mean, I've not been to that many. I know you've been to a few now, but is that a a standard IMAX size or was that just a bigger IMAX?
0: No, I think that there's like a cut down IMAX screen and then there's the full on standard IMAX from what I know, which could be wrong. But no, this screen was humongous. It was crazy. Yeah.
1: Just what you need for a film like this. Oh, yeah. 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 To to fully appreciate it. We were taking pictures of it and to fully appreciate it. Now, I, I did send out quite a few tweets at the time um, just to take a picture. Normally, didn't get all the screen and actually did a panoramic just to get it all in, um, which just gives you a, an indication of, of how big it is. Um, and we fully geeked out at this. So we were in the lobby waiting and there's like a a really cool, I don't know what you'd call it really, like a merch. It's like a poster, but like a stand which is like a Rubik's cube uh, with different bits on it. So you could change the, the character, which is really cool. Uh, and then we got up to the cinema and we were sat there waiting for it to start. Uh, and Alex Zane came out. So anybody that doesn't know who um, Alex Zane is, he's the, the movie correspondent for Sky News or not Sky News, but Sky Movies. Uh, he's done a few other bits and bobs. Um, so me and Nav were like, Oh, what's what's he doing here? He must've just been dragged in uh, just to jeer up the crowd and, say a few bits about the film. And then he said, oh, we've got a few guests for you. Um, so then out came, you're going to have to correct me on this one. Cause I'm probably going to butcher his surname. But so. Ben Mendelssohn. Is that right? I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> he plays, um, Ceretto, who's the main villain in the film. Uh, then came out Ty Sheridan and he plays Wade Watts or, uh, Parzival. Uh, who's the the main good guy, if you like, the main character in the entire film? Uh, so we were like, "Oh, wow!" You know, we've got um, the guy that the, the young lad that's a, an up and comer, if you like, who plays Cyclops uh, in the the recent X Men films, uh, which is pretty decent. Not the remakes, but from Days of Future Past and stuff like that. Um, he's the the young kid that plays um, Cyclops, Scott Summers, uh, in those films. So there's another one of those coming out later this year, I think, that he's in. And then uh, Ben, who's in Quite a few bits and bobs. Uh, Most recently Rogue One, I think people are knowing from. Uh, I can't remember the name of the character that he plays in there, but he plays the the general uh, in that. Um, so we were we were pretty like, well, wow, you know, we've got the the main villain and the main good guy in the screen with us, just uh, talking to us. And then just as we were getting used to that, we had a massive surprise and Steven Spielberg came out and yeah. pretty much the entire screen just lost their shit. <laughs> so yeah, they, they came out and just was talking to us about the film and some of the inspiration and, and different bits. And I think Ben was just as excited as us that Steven Spielberg was there, which was a bit crazy. No, it was good. The entire audience went wild
0: as soon as he came on. Yeah. And I think, I think it was a timing, because the red carpet premiere in Leicester Square was only half an hour or an hour before our showing was due to start. So they must have been doing a round of the other cinemas playing ready player one yeah because i'm sure yeah they, they went around but it was great for them to be there and do a quick little q a
1: yeah and, and obviously this is the first event of this kind we've both ever been to ever and it, you know, we were honored to be there and possibly at my depth a little bit rubbing shoulders with all these reporters who i have no idea who they are and I think someone said they they write for the the british version of the new york times or something like that and yeah. Okay. Whatever. We're just from Film Guff and laps Gamer Radio. You know, we're just just here as two nobodies, really. But yeah. So that that was really really good. Uh, completely not expected at all. We were just expecting to go watch the film, and that was that. Really. Roughly a week before everyone else. So yeah. That's about it for the the little intro. Uh, have you have you got anything to add there? Enough about that very random experience, other than the fact that we were going down to watch a a premiere of a film a week early. That's pretty much how I think most premieres go. But it was just nice to watch it in a fantastically
0: good screen. I think one of the things we suffer from in where we're from is that we don't really have not without a bit of a trek a good decent massive IMAX screen to go to.
1: Yeah so people have heard me speak about this before obviously we're in we're in Derby um, and although we've got kind of three cinemas and then we can go across to Nottingham which there is a bit of an, a, an IMAX but you then got to park somewhere in the city centre and it's just not easy to get to um, and obviously, I say you know we've got two showcases and an Odeon. Uh, myself and Nav are both members at the Odeon of of the Limitless, so we can go and see it as many times as we want. But it, it's in crying need of a, an upgrade and an IMAX screen there. Um, it would be nice to have an IMAX closer by. Um, who knows that there, there's some deve- a lot of development work going on, so we might get a, like a CineWorld um, or something like that pop up, which would be nice. Uh, chuck an IMAX in that, but. But who knows? But yeah, the, the the film, especially the intro, which we'll get into shortly uh, when they're finding the first key, that whole scene just sounded and looked fantastic to the point, I'd say it's almost a bit of a, an overload on your senses. It takes you a while to get used to the screen and the sound, I guess, in that. Well, not just because it's IMAX and what that means, but
0: the film itself is just a non-stop barrage of cultural references scene after scene, just quick, quick fire. So yeah, you almost don't get a chance to breathe and try and absorb and say, right, right, okay, what references can I see? Yeah, there's that person, there's a glory, there's R2-D2, you know, it just flies by. You've got to watch it more than once, I think.
1: Yeah. Uh, so just before we get into the, the nitty gritty of the film and the book, I guess, I'm just going to stop you here and just let you know there's going to be some spoilers. We'll try not to spoil the end of the film and how it does end. Um, but we are going to talk about like the key scenes and different things in the film. So if you haven't watched the film yet, hit pause on this episode. Um, I'm looking at dropping this the day the film goes out. So when you are hearing this, if you've downloaded this, the, the minute, the day it's dropped, hit pause, go and watch the film and come back. If you're not bothered about spoilers, um, and like I say, we're going to try and keep it to a minimum if we can, you listen away. But if not, come back uh, and we'll be here ready and waiting so you can hear our thoughts after you've seen the film. Uh, Also, I'm going to talk about the book. Um, So I'm going to say about different things that have been missed. I did read it two or three years ago, something like that. Um, I got the book in a loot crate um, and then ended up getting it on a Kindle, um, the the Kindle version of it. So I'm going to do my best, but please go easy on me if I've missed some key bits out from the book. Uh, It's been a while. I'm trying to reread it as I go along. Um, I have remembered quite a few different bits since watching the film that I can piece in and say different bits uh, that have been missed from the book. Um, but before we do go any further than that, this film is very different from the book and that's not a bad thing. The book is very, very good and I do really enjoy the book, but it is one massive love note to the 80s uh, and possibly the early 90s and um, Clyde that that, read, uh, that wrote the book. It's really, really good, but it is a massive, massive love letter to that that era and almost him telling you about his knowledge of that era of the eighties and the nineties and the video games that he's played and the films he's watched and the different things that he remembered. And that's been, believe it or not, toned down in the film because the detail that he goes into, it sometimes makes the book a little bit boring. Um, So I'll, I'll let you know the different bits from the book, but I'll put this in here now Anybody uh, that listens to Film Guff will know the rant that I went on about American Assassin and how different that was to the book and how it was just a completely crap film compared to the book. Um, So in this case, although they've missed a lot out and changed a lot and different things, it works better for cinema. They've not missed any key points out. They've not changed uh, the bad guy, the good guy or anything like that. They've just made it work better for cinema because if they'd have put, you know, 90% of the book onto the screen, I know books are different to the films, you know, look at Harry Potter and things like that. They have to make it work better. Um, but in this case, they've they've done a really good job uh, of doing that. And, and Ernest Clyde that that wrote the book had a hand in the screenplay as well. Um, so um, before uh, I talk more and bore you anymore, now if you want to just kick us off uh, and just tell us about, you know, what, what bits you enjoyed about the film without going into too much detail, and then we'll go into the detail later on. Uh, but just let us know what you thought of the film, Uh, Are you going to go back and see it at your local Odeon? I know you've just touched on that a little bit. And just your overall impressions of the film is CGI heavy uh, and what you thought of that CGI.
0: There's a lot of of build-up, a lot of discussion around Ready Player One and a lot of it was about its conversion from book to film. But not just that, but this whole thing that all it is is just a guy who's released something which is basically just a throwback to as many references as you can throw into the 80s. But, you know, this is what you get from, you know, reading everywhere and listening to what people are discussing. And I hadn't read the book beforehand, so I went in. Because at the end of the it, day, it's Steven Spielberg. When yeah. was the last time he made a pretty poor film? You know, it's it's not in his nature. So I took it for what it was. And the thing that I would say is, while it is, like you say, a love letter to the 80s, that's just the setting. Everyone like stuff from the eighties it's nostalgia but the film itself isn't really about that it's about the guy who created the oasis how his love for the eighties just meant that that's what populated that world and his references and his way of talking you know resembles that but yeah because of this it is a cgi heavy film there's almost an overload of what's happening on the screen I'm going to have to see it again just to kind of take in different bits and see what I potentially missed. Hell yeah. And I don't mean yeah. missed in the sense of story. Story's pretty straightforward, I think. It's just the references. I'm just hunting for all the
1: different little things hidden away, Easter eggs tucked around. Uh, yeah. I mean, th- there's some scenes in that film where I think you could almost pause it and spin it on frame by frame to go, oh, that's such and such, oh, that's this, that's that from this game, this is this, this is that. Um, And you'd spot so much. And like you say, you've got to watch it a fair amount of time, a fair amount of times to to, to fully appreciate and get all the references, but it's not too in your face. Um, And compared to the book, they have slightly updated it. Um, so it's not too early 80s, it's more mid 80s, early 90s. i I'll mention a few recent
0: things because I'm pretty sure I saw um, Overwatch Tracer in there as well.
1: Yeah, so uh, I guess the one thing uh, to let people know, if you've got no intention of watching the film but you're listening to this just to see what our thoughts are, um, is that they have, I guess, tweaked things a little bit and also they couldn't get the licences for everything. So when you read a book... Someone might be able to correct me here if I'm wrong. But when you write a book, you can pretty much write about what you want within reason without having to worry about licensing and things like that. You can reference to whatever you want if that makes your story, which is what Ernest Clyde did. Um, But obviously, when you want to convert that to screen and you're visually seeing that on the screen, you can't always put in an Atari and put the logos in for that and, and Nintendo this and, you know, different things like that from the eighties. Um, and I think some of the stuff behind the scenes is that Spielberg, people have got the confidence in Spielberg to make at least a three quarters good film. I think it's safe to say, and it's visually going to be good. And it was a lot of people said, we'll only do it if Spielberg do it and you can put our licenses in there. Um, so it, there is stuff missing. There is a few changes. And like you say, that there's some Overwatch stuff in there and and a few other references that are a little bit more recent. And I think that's because of licensing implications and daft things like that that we have these days. Yeah. I, I mentioned Tracer explicitly
0: because I did see a lot of outcry from the trailer. So why is Tracer in there? That's not 80s. And I think, again, that's betraying the theme of the film. It's a virtual world where a huge focus is the 80s. But, you know, there's more to it than that. And spoiler warning, the Iron Giants in there. Yeah. You know? Pretty sure he's not from the eighties. Not to mention quite a few other references that make it. I mean, King Kong is a whole pivotal part of this first part of this treasure hunt that they go on. And he's very much a nineteen thirties. So you know it's the focus is there, but can't let it detract from what the, the film
1: is. And, yeah, and you know. and I think the thing is as well, is that the film is actually set in the year 2045. So yes, you go in into the future and there's a few uh, dystopian things, which we'll talk about shortly that you see in the opener and, and throughout the film, but it is 2045. So if you're saying that, that that is God, my math isn't that good. 30 odd years ahead of us, just under, then traces already existed. So why not put it in there? It would be about, but it's not just about the eighties because the whole Oasis is about creating what you want to do and people can go on and create their own world and that world could be about Far Cry 5 that's literally just come out, but in 2045 that's a an old thing to people um, and, and, and things like that. So yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, it didn't spoil it for me. It's nice to see those characters. It's nice to relate to things. And don't forget that... People that are old enough to see this film, I can't remember what the, what the rating was for this film, if it's a, a 12 or a 15. I know there's a little bit of language in it. Um, so people of that young age, because there's a bit at the start where you see Minecraft, there's a Minecraft world. Well, that's not in the book, but you need to relate to people that are watching the film, I guess is the, the best way to put it. Yeah. Well, it's very,
0: I mean, this is the kind of thing when you go from book to film, book to the big screen, some things work fantastically in a book and some things work fantastically on screen and they don't always cross over. You don't have to explicitly call out Minecraft world in the Oasis. You can just show it yeah. and pan around this huge environment showing you the different worlds that you can take from that visually. So, you know, it's the kind of thing that would happen. You have all these nostalgia worlds, all these future worlds, and that's where this CGI-laden film is very cool.
1: Yeah, um, so we'll uh, we'll get into the actual film a whole virtual universe.
0: People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do. But they stay because of all the things they
1: can be. Can you feel this? Um, Yeah. It's the only place that feels like I mean anything. The Oasis
0: was the brainchild of James Halliday. Hello, if you're watching this, I'm dead. I created a hidden object, an Easter egg. The first person to find the egg will inherit half a trillion dollars and total control of the Oasis itself.
1: Who is this Parzival, and how the hell is he winning?
0: Find him. This isn't just a game. Talking about actual life and death stuff. The oasis, the world's most important economic resource. And this is nothing less than a war for control of the future. Welcome to the rebellion,
1: Wade.
0: Like many of you, I only came here to escape
1: but I found something much bigger than just myself. Are you willing to fight? Help us save the oasis. So uh, in the book, this is just where it differs a little bit. Uh, They have pretty much captured what's in the book, but the book kind of does it in different ways. And there's a lot more depth that goes into it as you do do in a book. Um, So it's pretty much... Similar, they've just spliced it around a little bit more. Uh, In the film, we see Wade come out of his house uh, or his um, trailer, as it is in the stacks. Uh, And the stacks look really, really great. Obviously, there's a lot of CGI that's got into them. um, And for anybody that's not read the books, the stacks is basically a stack of mobile homes, caravans, you name it, all stacked on top of each other with a lot of scaffolding around them. And that's where you live. There's been a massive... Crisis, um, apartments and things that are close to city centres are ridiculously expensive. There's been a massive fossil fuel, I think it is now, crisis or something like that. So Yeah, they, they talk about, they're trying to set a dystopian scene as to why everyone
0: spends all their time in, in the, the virtual reality world. And there's an energy crisis, there's
1: famines, people are not doing well, it's a bad time to be living. Yeah. Um, And then as as you see uh, Wade Watts make his way down the side of the stacks, you see various people doing random things with the Oasis headsets on. Um, You see some rather chunky bird uh, doing uh, pole dancing and uh, different things like that. Uh, I like the fact that they reference, I think it's Mrs. S or something like that, um, from the books where she offers him some food and different things. And I guess the only bit where this differs is the book pretty much starts with uh, James Holiday and telling him about things like that. And you don't actually get straight into the Oasis, whereas in this you get straight to it and you follow Wade walking through this dystopian area and then making his way to a scrap heap where he goes to play the Oasis, basically. But it looked pretty good. What did you think, Nav? Yeah, I think they could have... I would have liked to have known a
0: bit more about this dystopian world, and that's probably explained better in the books. But the way they present it, you know, you can see that it's not a brilliant time and you can see that they're showing you the world on his way from introducing himself as Wade off to his little hideout where he logs into the Oasis. uh, And you can just see his life and where he's coming from and why he spends all of his time there. But more than that, it kind of segues you into
1: what the point of the film is, which is a Willy Wonka meets the Matrix kind of (laughs) environment. Yeah, pretty much. So, So in the book it's a little bit different in terms of his living style. Although he does, and you do see him, you might see in a picture of it him asleep on top of a couple of washing machines and a dryer or whatever. The actual home that he lives in is shared with about 10 people. So he lives with his aunts because his parents were killed at a young age. His dad was killed trying to get money, well not money, get food for his family. Uh, And his mum, I think, just died of syphilis or something like that trying to make money Uh, and basically from a very very young age wade goes to school in the oasis and from an age he's old enough to put on that headset he is in the oasis and does everything in the oasis pretty much which in the book kind of contradicts himself because he is wearing that headset from the age of whatever but his character's only like level four or five i mean if you've been playing it for that long like 15 years or something stupid I'd expect him to be a lot higher up in the levels. That's some bad grinding right there. But yeah, so there's about 10 people in there. And the reason why he climbs down the side of the stacks, just to add a little bit of depth to that, is because people will kill, rape, do anything they can to nick whatever's on you. Um, And Wade makes a bit of a living and getting a little bit of cash of fixing PCs for people. So he's always got something on him. So he climbs down the side so nobody can hear him going down the main staircase. Um, just to add a little bit of depth to that, really. Yeah, it's a pretty grim world that it's yeah, set in. Yeah, pretty. So that
0: escapism to this oasis, this matrix-like world, is what drives everyone. Yeah. And yeah, they, when they show you that opening scene, as he's climbing down the stack, and you can see virtually everyone in their in their trailer with a virtual headset
1: in the oasis. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah, plenty. yeah, and it, and it could happen. So uh, let's move on. Uh, we've got the uh, the copper key. So the the film pretty much goes straight into it. You see a little bit about the fact that James Halliday, or I think that's how you pronounce his surname, has died. Um, but he then goes into his avatar character, um, which is Anarak, who's a wizard. And basically, James Halliday has has died, and he doesn't have any heirs to the throne. He owns the Oasis. The, a partner that he had, they had a bit of a disagreement about which way the OASIS should go. Uh, and he then just says, right, the OASIS is going to someone that can solve all three of these clues, these trials, if you like, go into the game, find it, a scoreboard appears, and nobody's name appears on that scoreboard. For I think about five years, uh, you get people called Gunters who are egg hunters, I don't know why you get the Gunter cause it should be enter or something like that. Um, and this is where you see Wade go into the Oasis. You see a really lovely transition from when he puts the headset on and he goes through and there's a, other than the Minecraft world, I can't think of anything else that's added there. Was it, did you see world of Warcraft and stuff like that? Nav? I can't remember. I think, I think there was a world of Warcraft yeah, world. But and as it's loading in you. There was, there was so much. I was trying to keep up yeah, with it and then, yeah. you know, remember
0: none of the smaller details, but Yeah. The guy who designed the Oasis, Halliday, has not been seen for some 10 or 15 years. He's been in isolation. And when he passed away, he had no hairs, no one to give his money to. Um, So he comes up with this scheme, which is almost exactly like, you know, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, find the golden ticket, except you've got these three different keys you have to go, you know, you have to find in the world. They're Easter eggs. They're not just lying in the ground somewhere behind a shrub they are tied to events in his life yes and so this is where the 80s nostalgia really hits into it because he's such a fan of it his keys and finding these keys which then unlock the main prize which is ownership of this entire
1: thing is all about his life his choices and and the environment that he's from and what he loves yeah so there's a, a thing in the in the film and the book called the almanac Um, And that's basically the Bible that all these Gunters use, which is, I guess, like an autobiography of everything that Halliday used to like, watch, read, you name it, it's in there. All his interests that he ever used to love is in there. And like you say, Nav, that's where the, the 80s references come in. And he's taken something from everything that he used to love and has put it into the film. And oh' sorry, into the games, and you have to get three keys, so you have to find where it is. you have to beat that game, that trial, and then you get a key which then opens a the door, which gives you a clue to the next bit uh in the book, the first game and the, for the first clue is Dungeons and Dragons, and a very, very old game at that, um whereas in this we go straight into it, and it's a car race, basically, um which. It's just epic. <laughs> yeah, it's phenomenal. It's basically, I
0: think, it's five years since this, you know, this event has been public yep. and where there was a huge amount of attraction to people. The only ones doing it now are Wade, a few other people, um, one of his friends, and you have this corporation, IOI, yes. or 101 or whatever IORI, they are. Yeah. and they're basically just throwing people at this race, to in an effort to win and the reason that's important is is that while you're racing you can die and when you die in the oasis you lose everything that you yeah. have you lose your money you lose your upgrades yeah permadeath you know hardcore mode to the extreme is great but um they're just throwing it and this race is is manic it's like a mix of mario kart with f0x and yeah, there was you know, a Forza all mixed in in one. People are driving their
1: different vehicles. You've got Wade running around in the DeLorean. What was the? the there was a game that was out on the PS3, I think it was. Um And it's a burnout, even yeah. But there was one where like the world Barbie. used to fall around, fall apart around you. Um I can't remember what it was called, Um and it's a, it's a little similar to that. Uh, and this is also where you're um, introduced for the first time to H spelt very strangely, mm-hmm. um, which is Wade's friend in-game, um, who's like a, I don't know, like an orc, I guess, <laughs> kind of thing. He's in a massive uh, Bigfoot pickup truck. You've got people in loads of different cars. And like you say, Nav, this is where you first introduced to IOI, which is a massive corporation that want control of the Oasis from themselves to make it corporate, to make money off it, which you find out a little bit more how and why they want to do that uh, later in the film. Um, And they basically, I think it's a way of people, the reason why people work for this company is basically for money Uh, and they're in the Oasis and you see loads of their cars stacked up and H has saved um, Parzival uh, space right at the front for him to chuck his DeLorean down, but he's a bit skint. He hasn't got a lot of credits. Um, And I can't remember the phrase they called it, but basically he decides to go to the back of the grid so when people crash out, he can collect the coins from them crashing. Um, I can't remember the 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 phrase that H puts towards it um, about what he's doing. Uh, and then the race starts uh, and they're doing this very high speed chase through. Um, I guess what you the only way I could describe it is if you're going through the streets of Chicago that has the monorail above it. So you're kind of like mid city doing the race uh, and flying around. And it's also when you first see... Uh, Artemis, um, who's Parzival's love interest, I guess, who's on the bike from Akira, I think it is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they see her, they, you know, they think,
0: oh, could this be the famous Artemis, who's well-known in the oasis Yes. Yeah. And throughout this race, they're competing, obviously, to come first. And I think at one point, Wade is in the lead, but <laughs> there's this... Fantastic bit where this final obstacle is basically King Kong, and no one ever gets past King yep. Kong, and he crashes his DeLorean, and he sees Artemis coming down this ramp, convinced that she's not going to make it, pulls her off her bike, only for King Kong to kind of like come up, grab it, and smash this bike. Um, so he effectively saves her from wiping, which is interesting because that then becomes important in the film as well because. All Wade has is everything that he's ever achieved in the Oasis. All his possessions are virtual,
1: and he's not willing to throw them away. Yeah, there's a few times where he he won't do something, he won't risk it, which which Artemis kind of calls him out on a a few times to say, "You'll never get. Why? Why why don't you just risk it? Come on, let's let's do it." And there's a little scene where they take a leap of faith, if you like, uh, in a club, but he doesn't want to lose everything because. Basically, I think in the Oasis, there is a little bit of essence of not necessarily pay to win. But if you're rich outside the Oasis, you can be rich in the Oasis and buy yourself some credits and get loads of stuff. Um, And I think when when Parzival first loads in, you actually see H, uh, a little introduction to that character. Uh, And he's in a, a first person shooter, just laying waste to everything. And I think it explains there that he's pretty rich because if he's a really good combat combatant in that area. Yeah. What he does is, um, he does commissions for
0: people. So he's like a modder yeah. and he makes stuff. So the iron giant, for example, is something that he's making for someone. So he's well known for his ability to create items. Yeah. Cause one of the other things in the Oasis are artifacts, which grant you special abilities. Yeah. So yeah, you, you first meet him. There's like a massive King of the Hill fight battle royale going on everyone's killing each other all to try and get this artifact yeah so he's he's quite wealthy in that respect but um the pay to win element is it's the oasis is so innovative in the world that you can make money inside it yeah and order stuff in the real world yes yeah but when your character dies you lose it and wade is his motivation is basically he wants out of his poor life he wants to be wealthy and when art when artemis and wade start interacting more and discovering what each other are about you you find out that her
1: reasons are very very different yes yeah definitely i think to start off with wade is very much he appreciates where he comes from but in the same vein he also knows that he's broke ass <laughs> he's got no no pennies to his name in the real life um because in the actual i think they reference it in the film but in the book they eat fire food tokens. So the only reason why his aunt lets him stay where he stays is because she gets his food tokens off him, even though she wants him to pay rent as well. So you get food from these vendors, I guess, uh, where you can get, uh, tokens and, and things to, for for food, a bit like rations. Um, so in the actual race, I think, does it start off with, um, is it a T-Rex chasing them and bashing people about before we get to King Kong?
0: Yeah, but you've got cars racing into each other. You've got obstacles being thrown at them. You've got like a T-Rex shows up. Yeah, and then King Kong just you know, comes out of nowhere. Stuff, and- is, stuff is
1: falling. King Kong's S- up on the Empire yeah. State Building, comes swinging in, and, and he just smashes the shit out of the road, the hell out of him and all of that. Yeah, um, and it's it's really, really, really well done, um, and, I, and I can't wait to see that race again because it's just amazing. <laughs> um, so yeah, Optimus saves Wade, um, and then. They come out of the oasis. They have a little bit of a chat, but then everyone has to go to school or bed or or whatever. And Artemis says something about you know in the Olomac Olam- and Paul, not Paulsville, um Holiday mentions that sometimes to go forward you have to go back because what happens is, is when Wade saves Artemis, Godzilla or not Godzilla, uh, King Kong grabs. her vehicle that's about to come through and then spits it back out and there's no way you'd have got past it. And then H ends up fixing the car and you see his workshop where you've got all sorts of little reference things and wades kind of showing off on H's behalf of all the little vehicles. So you've got a little reference to Firefly and is there a reference to Star Wars there? I know there is something about the Millennium Falcon, but there's various different yeah, there's a whole thing of, well,
0: yeah, the Millennium Falcon shows up a bit later on in that when IOI are trying to recruit Wade, once he starts doing quite well, they're like, yeah, we've got the money, we could buy you the original Millennium Falcon. Yeah. So, you know, that's where they're trying to win one over on I mean, him, tie into his greed. But yeah, he's basically just showing this person who they don't know um, all this cool stuff that H has, all these commissions and whatnot, without even asking him. He's
1: just trying to show off to, to Artemis because of how famous she is. And she's having none Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's definitely got a, a crush on her. Um, so then we, we kind of break out of the Oasis for a little bit, back to reality. He goes back to the apartment where his, boy, his aunt's boyfriend gives him a bit of a hide-in because of the crappy gloves that he's got and he tries to fix them and things. And he's basically sat on the washer looking out the window thinking about how he can beat that first prize. And then it suddenly clicks with him about the the going backwards. Um, So the next time we go back into the Oasis, back onto the track again, he's all the way at the back of the grid. Um, And then he just whips open the door of the the DeLorean. Um, And it is a proper back to the future DeLorean as well. It's not just a a box standard DeLorean. Um, And he just reverses. And this is where you see Wade finally crack the first key. And he goes through the entire track backwards, but underneath everyone, So he can see, it's kind of like in the game, like in the code almost. And you can see different things happening. Uh, and then he gets to a little area, a pole. Yeah. It's like, it's like on the starting line, he literally reverses full speed.
0: He's going to come at a wall and crash, but it breaks away and he gets into the behind the scenes of the race. Yeah. So he's able to do the race without any of the race affecting him. And so he wins.
1: Yeah, and gets he jumps the, out, doesn't he? The like another bit opens yeah. and he jumps out at a a park, I guess. Yeah, that's where the
0: um Anorak is waiting with the key and the clue for the next for the next one. Yeah. And then because Artemis was there and saw what he did, she then follows up and does the same yeah. thing. I think he owes. He H He then one. tells eight yeah. yeah, and then H then tells these two guys who are absolutely hilarious—the Chinese dude and the Japanese dude—what were their names? Oh, do you know what? I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> that was that? But um, and so and they're quite famous in the world as well. So you know, they then do it and start seeing names pop up on the leaderboard, and suddenly Wade is finding himself very famous. So it's Dato or Dato,
1: D A I T O oh, yeah. and Sho, S H O. So yeah. these guys kind of play a, a part later on in the game but they're kind of friends of uh, uh, Hs who are in some of the similar games that that he goes off and plays um and he that they're just kind of friends of his so he kind of helps them although he swore he wouldn't tell anyone um so yeah that's where we kind of get to the end of that act if you like so he's now got the key uh, he's first on the the leaderboard the head guy from Iowa or IOI even is um, doing his nutting because he wants control. He's throwing all sorts of money at, at, at IOI to get up and running, uh, which is Ben's character. Uh, so it's Sereto that that's trying to get that sorted and you see his character in game. Um, and this is probably a little spoiler. I didn't realise this at all, but it's the first time you see I-rock, uh in game, who looks badass. Uh, which is actually played by TJ Miller. Um, And he's a really like scary looking kind of Warhammer looking guy with a skull as a chest and you can see through it in different things. And then he's got TJ Miller's voice, which I just thought was hilarious. (laughs) Um, So they're having a little chat saying that they need to get Wade on side. So he um, says to him, look, you know, you, you need to go and look out for him. In the meantime, because Wade got the first key, he then gets a lot of credits. I, th- I can't remember how many he gets. Does he get like a million credits or something daft? Something. Yeah. Something. He goes out and just starts buying. stuff. Yeah. So it. he buys like, a I think it's full body. Yeah, suit so he, yeah. The, the IOI full body suit. So he, he puts that on. Whereas before it was just the mask and gloves. Um, he now has the full body suit so he can feel everything. And we find out later he feels everything. Um, and then he just buys like the holy hand grenade and all sorts of crazy shit, basically. Uh, and H is there, like, sure, you don't want to save some of this money. He's like, no, I'm having it. I want that. I want this. I want that and different things. Um, and then he goes out into a public place and gets ambushed um, by everyone because they want photos of him because he's now the most famous person other than Holiday in the Oasis. Uh, and there's quite a funny scene, which we won't spoil, um, but there's, there's quite a funny scene that happens there. And then him and Artemis go on a bit of a date to talk about the next puzzle. So they're now kind of starting to work together about the next key and how they can solve it, I guess. Yeah, they
0: start collaborating. I mean, they're still very much doing it for their own reasons, but they are working together. I mean, I think you learn a bit more about Artemis in this next...
1: Yeah, key. Which was it? copper was first. Yeah, so it's here, the next so... silver key that they're, they're they're trying to find, or the is it the crystal key, and then it's the emerald key or something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, so he they they get to know each other. They they meet up at a club and they're talking and having a laugh and different things, and they're trying to find the the next key. They jump into this like gravitally, gravit gravityless dance mat and then they have a massive dance off which is again is really really funny and wade is just falling more and more in love with this this character this avatar that he knows nothing about and h has already warned him that this could be some dude in a basement that's playing a a woman basically so be careful what you're falling in love with you're just falling in love with you know pixels basically um and then he says to her he reveals his real name so it's all obviously um nameless and you know you, you are who you are you yeah, well you're you're anonymous when you're in the oasis yeah and he gives his name
0: away and then all of a sudden she's like what are you doing yes breaks breaks the scene completely because she then goes on about how for her it's a very serious thing whereas he is obviously just you know not committed or not not understanding what's actually at stake if ioi win these schemes takes control
1: of the oasis yeah so so two things happen here one you find out that ioi are, are listening in uh, and irock is in the club as well so he reveals his name and then uh Ceretto can then find out everything about him basically by pinning it down uh, with a, a little bit of technology and stuff uh, but you also find out about how bad ioi are and they have these are they called reha- rehabilitation centers no they have these loyalty, loyalty centres. That's it. Yeah.
0: And what they do is they buy the debt of people who can't pay back, and then they force them to work in these so-called loyalty centres. But they're like shackled to their post. It's I think. Um, oh, what's that place in Beijing that makes all of Apple's gear? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, just ex- extreme version, basically. And so you have these people that are working like there. Slave labour, isn't it? Yeah, they can never escape their debt, and I think Artemis's father died in one of these places, which is why she's so hell bent on winning. Yeah,
1: yeah, because they don't—they'll just keep working you and working you until you get ill, and then you get ill, and they won't fix you, and then you keep going, and then you die basically. Um, And it's their way of getting more people around Uh, the, the oasis and different things and. It's very, very corrupt and slave labor to its to its max, basically. Um so you find out more about why Artemis is doing the the be is a gunter and trying to get all the keys and what she wants to achieve by winning, basically. Um so that happens and then you find out that Soretto now knows that he's Wade Watts, and then he contacts him. So next time he logs in to the oasis, you see that he has got a message he logs in and he sees it's an, an invite from Soretto. So he kind of holograms himself in as possible into Soretto's office. And he's like, look, you know, come and join us. I'll pay you. You'll get a, a really nice apartment near IOI headquarters, but you'll get it and we'll pay you millions. And if you find it and crack it before anyone else, we'll pay you some more, but we're going to take control of the Oasis. Um, and there's a really funny scene where he sees his login, for, for the Oasis on his chair uh, which I thought was hilarious working in IT that you know someone of that power was stupid enough to write his password down on his chair um, and he basically then towards the end of it he is seriously considering it I think at one point Nav that he he is going to take this offer potentially he is seriously thinking about it well this is what you learn about his
0: character because he is all about the money but then he says, no, he's not clammed up. He doesn't want anything to do
1: with IOI. And
0: I think that's down to Artemis.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I definitely think she's influenced him. And then he basically says, well, Possible, um, it's a shame we know that your real name is Wade Watson, that you live at this place in uh Chicago or, or wherever it is. Um, Cin- yeah. Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs>
0: they send a the fixer out to basically kill him. Yes.
1: Yeah. Take him out of the living So door. to Sorretto's to Naivety, I guess. He thinks that Wade is logging onto the Oasis at home, where he isn't, because his parent, well, his his, his aunt would confiscate his um, stuff to either sell it uh, or use it for herself. So he go. That's why he sneaks off to to go into the Oasis. And uh, he suddenly takes off his headset and runs towards the the stacks. And big bada boom! Basically, they 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 blow the shit out of the stacks. Um. And I think it's just before this you see someone following Wade and he basically gets kind of caught up in the the, the explosion a little bit, like knocks him for six a little bit. Uh, and he, he goes off and Soretto basically thinks that he's dead. Um, and then he goes back into his oasis, what he's going to do. I think he's sending out a, a, a voicemail to all his friends, isn't he? To say, be careful, IOI are oh, going to kill you. They've just done this, that and the other. This is a message to all my friends. And he gets chloroformed from behind. Um, so then uh, this is where the book differs because um, once it's blown up, Wade actually changes his name to another character. He puts on a little weight and he buys himself a really swanky uh, apartment somewhere, kind of, uh, with the money that he's got left. And he he then goes on and he's, he's very close to IOI headquarters. And I'm not sure at what point he actually meets Artemis in the book. I can't remember that much. Uh, but actually in the film, he goes um, to a, I guess, like a rebel camp. Would you call it that, Nav? Uh, where Artemis is and he actually meets Artemis. Yeah, it's just a, like a renegade outpost. It's
0: a slumber, just just some disused warehouse. Yeah. Typical kind of thing where hackers congregate. That kind of environment that's where they are. Just where other people in a bad situation are Yeah, living. and
1: it, it turns out that she has got a little bit of help behind her. They, She's got like a crew behind her of people that log in and to help her maybe a little bit or or whatnot. And she says like, you know, she's broken protocol, but she needed them there for safety. And then they get working on cracking the next code, basically in and out of the Oasis. Um, and you see that she's got a bit of a birthmark over her eye. And this is where she suddenly becomes a little bit insecure because she looks nothing like her avatar, which who would, um, but there's nothing actually that wrong with her other than the fact that she's got a birthmark over her, Right eye, I think it is. And he's like, well, no, I still love you. You know, you're not far off your avatar kind of thing. And then this takes us to the silver key, which uh, is The Shining. And I believe you've not seen The Shining, Nav. Is that right? (laughs) I actually haven't watched The Shining, Uh, (laughs) Which Kev will probably be rolling in a, I would say in his grave, but a DVD sleeve somewhere. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so, so we find out that the, the next key is linked to what they think is Holiday's least favourite film or something like that from the decade, or it's a really hyped film that he doesn't like. Um, it's a little bit controversial. And you actually go into The Shining. You don't really see any of the characters from The Shining apart from the twins, but you see the the bicycle, you see the carpet, the corridors, uh, the blood flowing through. And this is where you see a really, really funny few scenes basically with h trying to get away from this blood pool and and different things and flying through the corridors and different things with with them and uh, datto and show also trying to basically i think they were going to take it in turns to find out how they're going to get this down because they now know that ioi have got a a, a bounty out if you like for um for possible yeah i just trying to think when that bit kicked in because
0: I sympathise with H having not watched The Shining. She's in this environment. Everyone is like, "Ooh, be careful!" And you know, she is going, "Oh, what's this? Oh, look, hey, little girl, what what's going on here?" And it's the twins, that kind of thing. So it's just for laughs by not being aware of where she is. Yeah, it's quite nicely. I it? guess
1: uh, one bit that I've missed out is that the almanac is almost a virtual area that they can go to. It's just like a library and there's a robot there that's, that's helping them and, and different things. Um, and they find out about, basically it's linked to holidays. First love, which is only referenced once in the entire almanac and the, um, curator of this, of this library. Yeah. Um, the thing was he, he goes on a
0: date and the date wanted to go dancing, but he decided, he's no good at that and you wanted to go see a film and the film was The Shining hence why The Shining is the the scene that they're all in yeah and then as they as they um, when they're in the uh, this Ormanette library place and the curator is showing them the clips of what actually happened at that time you know you could see what was going through his mind and they realised that what he actually wanted to do or should have done that he never did do was was take the leap and go dancing. So yeah. midway through this shining thing, they uncover a door that leads them to a dance floor, they, they do the leap and they solve the riddle and then yeah. Move on. So
1: Artemis solves it first by by taking that leap and then everyone else follows afterwards. Um and something that you do see just before this um is when basically you're seeing memories that um holidays put into the almanac. So you kind of see it from like a third-person perspective. And I didn't realise that Simon Pegg was in the film. Uh, and at this part of this scene that you're seeing, they're actually partners and as something happens partway through and they split up. I think it's because Simon Pegg's character ends up having a relationship with this woman that Holiday goes on this first date with. Um, and I think that um, Parzival has a bet with the curator and says, if it isn't this, if it, like he says that it's got to be t- something to do with this woman because it's only ever mentioned once and he's obliterated all other memories of this woman. And the curator's like, no, 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 that can't be, that can't be. He wouldn't have done that. And he goes, I bet you it has. Um, so then he does a little search and it is literally the only reference to this woman. And he gives him a quarter as he goes, you know, I always pay him bets. And he went, no, it's all right. It's only a quarter. You keep it. And he went, no, 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 you know, a bet's a bet. You keep this quarter, so he puts it in his pocket, thinks nothing else of it, which is quite pivotal later in the film. Um So yeah, they they solve that, and I think not long after solving that, Soretto goes a little bit crazy. Um, you see him get this—I can't remember what it's called. What's the orb called? The Orb of Death or something? It's got a really weird name, hasn't it? That irock gets a level ninety-nine spell. Yeah,
0: it's it's an orb that puts an impenetrable shield
1: around where you are so no one can come in trouble. yeah, yeah. Um, so he goes a bit crazy seeing that they've solved the next riddle um, and I think you see a scene of them trying to the, all the IOI staff trying to complete it and you see them all freaking out from like outside the oasis and you see them with the masks on all like running away from like the, the random zombie lady and the um, blood and stuff which is which is quite a funny scene um, so you see Saretto go, look, we need to find him in real life and, and kill him or stop him or do something. Um, and he's he set this woman out to to go and hunt him down and, and kill him, basically. Um, and when they come out of the oasis, you see that they're under attack again. Artemis says, look, you've got more of a chance. You know Holiday better than anyone. So she sacrifices herself to free or not necessarily free, but to allow... Um, possible to, to escape or Wade in the real world. Uh, and he kind of reluctantly runs off. And then this is where you first meet H in the real world, uh, which is actually a woman, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, is it, which is a strange turn of events. Also, uh, Dato and Sho are in the, the van as well. Uh, and they're going around and basically help Wade to escape. Um, And in the meantime, you actually realise that IOI have figured out where the next clue is, but they can't figure that one out. I don't think I've missed too much in between there, I've enough.
0: Yeah, I think once once they've got that clue for the third one, and they're in the real world being chased, um, IOI have figured out what the third one is, and they've gone to this island to play this game in order to... To crack it. And it's basically, what was it? Was it the Atari and all the original games or something?
1: Yeah, it's the or original Atari. Yeah. I yeah. Um, and I guess it's worth mentioning here that Artemis has been captured. So she's now, she's at IOI headquarters, but she's now in one of these slave tanks um working. <laughs> yeah, loyalty, yeah, the loyalty, loyalty tanks. Yeah. Or whatever. Uh, and, and working for them. Um So while IOI are trying to figure out the last clue and everything, the, the 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 crew or the high five club as they become to known because there's five of them and they're the top five on the leaderboard that's they end up being a crew um they actually dupe um Soretto into thinking he's out of the Oasis so then they can hack his account and get Artemis out of the the think or the the, the uh, Oh, what you call it? The loyalty the tank. Center, Thank you. You yeah, keep the... reminding me of that. I don't know why I call it think tank. Uh, so they free her out of that, although she ends up staying in um, and becomes like a bit of a rogue agent, if you like. Um, yeah, because she's in
0: the Oasis dressed as an IOI. Like yeah, so she's on the other side. Avatar, whatever, um, so she's trying to, to help him from within. Yeah,
1: and, and what happens is, is Soretto then puts this impenetrable bubble around the planet or around the area where this Atari is and he's just got a queue of IOI staff going right now, next game. And there's a, you see the group of people that are actually in real life outside of the game, trying to figure out which one it is and how to crack the clue and different things. Uh, and you just see employee after employee going in and if it's the wrong game and you get so far into it, the, the ice cracks and then that's that guy killed off, if you like. Um, And then they do find the game and I can't remember what the game is but it was the first one. It was Adventure. Yes, Adventure, that was it. So they do find that. Um, and basically what happens is, is Wade goes, look guys, we found where the last game is, but IOI have put this protective barrier around it. We, it's impenetrable, but I need everyone, bring everyone uh, to to come and take this down and help us fight our way through so we can stop IOI taking over the Oasis. And, you know, it won't be as we know it, if IOI take over. And, um, and yeah, there's one big jock off battle basically. Um, autumn, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's fantastic, but nostalgia because then
0: you hear H go get the Iron Giant, yeah. and so you have this massive war with these users versus this IOI behemoth. off. It's it's very nice. Yeah, of them. and
1: they're all having a massive fight, but I think its show uh, doesn't do anything for ages. So in the van as they're driving around, shows just like sat there, and they're like, get in there, get in the battle." No, no it, it's Daito, the Japanese because he's just there, yeah.
0: yeah, he's just there like, meditating, yeah. and then everyone's like, what are you doing? Do something, and then right at the last minute, he pulls this artifact out, and he goes, I choose the power of Gundam.
1: transforms <laughs> <laughs> into this, this giant Gundam robot, and just lays waste. Yeah, glory. So Sato, is uh, not Sato, it's Soretto. sorry, uh, has kind of turned himself into a massive, like, is it like a Godzilla, kind of, Something like that, like a macro Godzilla yeah. and thing. there's one hell of a battle going off and there's characters from all sorts of stuff and guns. And again, it's another overload of references, which it, which it looks fantastic. Uh, in the meantime, Artemis has found out how to deactivate this bubble. So she kind of sneaks in uh, and manages to take down the bubble. Uh, and then they all kind of like stop piling in and you then see... Paws in his DeLorean again, trying to get to the game uh, to get to where he needs to get to. And then I think it's Soretto that's got the kill everything grenade. Yeah, there's something early on when Wade first wins the first key and earns a load
0: of money. They show him in like a virtual shop of all the different cool stuff he can now afford to buy that he doesn't really need. And there's this one item which is like so expensive, but it basically it kills everyone. Yeah but like everyone in the I game think it's everyone Awasian, on that planet
1: or something isn't it it's like a ridiculous yeah. But, nuke <laughs>
0: but yeah it it resets everyone basically back to like you know level 0 so yeah ceretta but when he sees him about to go there and when he basically uses it kills everyone yeah. um, only and you know and the leaderboard resets only for um, way to not actually disappear and it turns out that that coin that he won off the major spoiler right <laughs> major spoiler is like a, is a one up. It's
1: another life. Yeah. So he's there and he's able to play the game, beat the puzzle. Yeah. Because what was happening was the, the IOI guys actually knew the game, but they couldn't figure it out that it wasn't the, the game that you were supposed to beat. You were supposed to find the Easter egg uh, within the game where it's the guy's name that created the game is in there and you take the key back to the start of the game and it unlocks the Easter egg or unlocks his name. Um, and that's what he did. And he gains access to the, uh, the Oasis. Uh, and then, then the, the film wraps up with a few bits and bobs after that. Um, what did you think of the film? Now I know we've kind of covered it, but now we can, you know, say, say our final thoughts. Um, is it everything you thought it would be? Is it more? Obviously. Well, I didn't really, I enjoyed it.
0: And the, the most that I knew about it was all the negativity towards it from reading online. There was a lot of, um, I wouldn't say hate, but a lot of people saying, oh, it's just a nostalgia film. It won't be very good. But, you know, it's an enjoyable film. Yeah. And I think most people didn't know anything about it, missed it for what it was. Yeah, It wasn't just, a, you know, it's, yes, it's 80s nostalgia. It's a laugh, but it's only because that's a context of where it's set.
1: Yeah. I mean, we get a lot of films that are kind of based in the 80s anyway. I mean, look at Stranger Things. Could you not class that as 80s nostalgia with a bit of, not kid horror, but that kind of, you know, it's about a group of kids in the eighties and especially season two when the ghost busted up and different things. It's the same thing, but on the big screen. Um, it, but I agree, but I, I, I'd love to try and somehow deter people from, look, forget all that bullshit. Yes, there's a lot of references in it. Just go and see it. It's a good film. It's a good, it's a pity that this isn't classed as a video game film because we'd actually finally have a half decent video game film. Um, having not seen the new Tomb Raider just yet but yeah it's definitely worth it if you've read the book you may be disappointed because there's things that are significantly different but it's not ruined anything I think if anything it's made it better it's made it more streamlined and it's taken away some of the over the top references which which is in the book they've definitely toned it down compared to what's in the book believe it or not but yeah definitely worth a watch and definitely worth going to see wouldn't you say enough at least two or three times I do plan on seeing it again definitely oh i think you know it's enjoyable you know i I wasn't
0: annoyed that i had wasted my time fapping around in central london getting the tube to go see it other than the seats are the most uncomfortable thing i've ever
1: ever yeah seen. i know you can't complain but for um, something that's free but the, the the seats in that bfi IMAX for a two hour <laughs> whatever film it is they were pretty uncomfortable oh my god felt like i was being
0: squashed into a midget and i'm a big guy <laughs> but no it is an enjoyable film. I don't think the story is by any means groundbreaking. It's pretty straightforward. It's guy meets girl who isn't all she appears, falls in love with the wrong thing, realises his fate, kind of goes off, does whatever gibberish. Story. I don't know where I was going with that point, but it's 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 an interesting story, you know? it's There's no,
1: I wouldn't say major plot twists, Or going for crazy spoilers it's (laughs) not really no there's nothing major there's no massive plot twists or anything like that there's that little bit at the end but it's just a a general feel-good film that's a lot of nostalgia it's a lot about what's happening recently if you like in terms of vr and things and where it could lead go and watch it have fun it's released over the easter break and yeah two thumbs up really Uh, So thank you very much for listening uh, to myself and have ramble on about this film. Um, And obviously this is released just before the film comes out or on release day. So if you do go and watch it, don't forget to get in touch on social media at FilmGuff and let us know what you think, really. Um, If you're a fan of the book, did you like the differences? Are you not going to see it because you're a fan of the book and you don't like what you see on screen? Are you not seeing it because of the 80s nostalgia and different things like that? Although hopefully we've changed your mind by the end of this podcast. Um, I'd just like to thank Nav for coming on as a guest and ushering me around London um, because I was a little bit worried about the tube and stuff because I know how people get lost on them but towards the end of the trip Nav I was telling you what platform we needed to go to so I think that's a successful trip
0: <laughs>
1: and if anybody does want to follow you on Twitter you're at Teachfan, is that right? Um, yeah that's right Wicked um, so thank you once again Nav uh, for joining me um, and until next time it's good night from me Goodbye
0: Three keys. Three hidden challenges test for worthy traits. Revealing three hidden keys to three magic gates. And those with the skill to survive these traits. Where the prize awaits, let the hunt begin.